Welcome to The Inner Circle, the podcast where The Radius Group, a team of experienced wealth advisors, brings you inside the circle of smart financial planning. With a network of industry experts, The Radius Group discusses the latest trends while sharing timeless wealth management techniques. So whether you're looking to optimize your portfolio, minimize taxes, or plan for your future, The Inner Circle is here to provide exclusive and valuable insights. Hi, this is John Reagan with the Radius Group at UBS Financial Services. Welcome to another episode of The Inner Circle. I'm happy to bring you today's episode alongside my colleague and co-host, Colin Faulkner. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. Happy to be with you, too. Colin, as the summer winds down and we're getting back to the back-to-school mindset, we've chosen to dedicate this episode to educating the young adults by sharing tips to help build a solid financial foundation and give some practical advice that's based on our own personal experiences. That's right, John. From budgeting essentials to strategies for building wealth, today's episode aims to empower the next generation of investors with the knowledge and tools necessary to make informed financial decisions. All right. Well, let's dive right in. Let's start, Colin, today just by talking with some very basic parts of of financial planning, but let's start with a budget. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, at the core of a good financial foundation uh, is a good budget. Uh, so a budget really requires two things. Uh, it's money coming in and money going out. Now, the first step is hopefully there's more money coming in than there is going out. Uh, now, budgets, if oftentimes people think that, you know, a budget creates financial bondage. It's restricting, but in reality, a budget is freeing. It should provide financial freedom. How's that? So if you think about uh, like if I want to buy clothes, if I'm, I like fashion, I like to stay kind of in trend, but uh, as best I can, I'm not always successful. But I like to create a item in my budget that considers clothing. And every month I don't have to consider or think, I don't even have to think about, can I afford this? It's already in my budget. So I can just go out and spend that dollar amount, however much that is. Um, so it's already considered and that's freeing for me. That's, it gives me a sense of, liberty to go out and spend that money. Um, now, it's all the other items. Where do you even start with the budget? That was my biggest question. Absolutely. I remember we talked a few years ago and um, when I, or a number of years ago, but when I first started pursuing that, um, you showed me a couple of services or a couple of online tools of how to do that. Now, you think about what it costs to be you. Um, there's a couple of ways you track that. One of the things you told me about was aggregation services. Right? So you have online tools, resources. A lot of times your bank, uh, if you have a credit card or a debit card with a bank, they will already be doing that for you. Or like if you're online app, there's probably some, uh, some, some section or some area of the website that will have goals or spending or tracking spending. And it will show you automatically by what you're spending on your credit card, what's coming out of your debit card, as well as what's coming in from any paychecks it'll automatically sync that up and see, all right, this is how much you're spending each month and this is how much is actually coming in. That's one way to automate it. Now, another traditional way to do it, and this is what I did starting out just to get a clear picture, was a spreadsheet. So you just, for me, all I did was I laid out three columns and it was in level of priority. The first column was a need. What do I need to spend every month? So what are the essentials of life. So I had rent, I had utility bills, I had food, I had gas, right? Those are the necessities. Then in the second column, I had wants. What do I want to spend? Once all my essentials are covered, 
what am I going to want to spend? Uh, and then the third column was a wish. So maybe in five years, I want to take a European vacation. And maybe I just save $100 a month. But that's not today. I could really adjust that if I want to. Uh, but that's really, it's really important to prioritize your budget. But you start, the easiest place to start to orient yourself is what do you know? What, what are the knowable expenses? What is fixed? You pay every month. And some of those needs are also going to be variable too. But we love that framework of what do you need, want, and wish to spend. And that, and that can be challenging for people, right? Because everybody looks at different things um, uh, and prioritizes them differently. For instance, that clothing budget that you talked about, you might say, that's not a want, that's a need. Mm -hmm. And other people may say, no, that's a wish. Yeah. So th that's interesting because it does have to be tailored to the individual. And each person does have to come to the conclusion that um, there might be some, some things that need to be cut if they take a good hard look in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And another great example of that is giving. You know, what are your charitable contributions too? Some people see that as a want or a wish. Some people see that as a need too. Uh, you could also say other things, um, but you know, you, a budget really at the end of the day, you could view it in terms of how it helps you or what it does for you is it's like a compass, right? It's a compass for meeting goals. You wanna use it just like a compass if you're navigating a navigation uh, if you need to go north or you want to go north, but the compass is telling you you're going east, you know you need to make an adjustment. Similarly with a budget, if you know that every dollar that you bring in, there's already you know 99 cents is accounted for, or 100% of that dollar is accounted for, but you want to buy a house, you know you need to make an adjustment. You know you need to probably cut spent, cut savings or spending where it might be in that lowest priority of the, the wish or the wants. Um, you don't want to cut out the needs because you need that money each month. Um, but that, that's also, you know, that, that's really where I think the, the benefit and it's really practical of building a budget to help orient you. That, that makes a lot of sense. So, so let's say you get to a point that you have made the determination that you don't need a brand new outfit every day. And as a result, you do have some extra money. Um, that you're starting to consider, well, where should this go? Because, again, to your original comment, the budget is is starts with money coming in that you're earning and money going out. Well, at some point, because we're financial planners, we want to talk about how to make that money work for us. Mm -hmm. So naturally, the conversation tends to start to trend toward, so now that I have some excess funds, and I want to work towards the future, where do I start? Yeah, I And that, I think that concept, so we describe that as the savings waterfall. Can you talk about that a little mm -hmm. bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It, you know, it's, when you talk with young investors, one of the, the biggest question is balancing how do they save money for today or the short term, but also the long term. A lot of times, one of the things that passes them by is, or slips their mind is saving for the long term, right? But when we look at that savings waterfall, that first category um, and a savings waterfall is an emergency fund. So the, the reason why we place that at a high priority is if you think about being a young adult or just young in general and you have a job and you go without income, something happens to your current source of income. How else are you, how are you gonna fund your lifestyle, right? If you don't wanna move in with mom or dad or you don't wanna go into credit card debt, there needs to be cash to cover your expenses. Typically, what we recommend is that 
each person based on it's going to be based on households income per households uh, you have if you're a single person with one income then we would recommend having six months worth of living expenses and savings now say you're a married couple and you're both working that's two incomes in a household we would say at least have three months of spending in your savings and the reason why that is for a married couple is if one of you loses your job there's still another source of income but if you're single and you lose your job there's no other sources of income so it's a little bit longer it's a little bit more money if you're single so that's really important at, to create a, a base for savings. And then you look at all the other money. Where's after you have that met, then where are you saving? You look at the 401k. If you have a company-sponsored retirement plan, or a, some people might have 403bs, there's a lot of different numbers associated with them, but usually companies will offer you some vehicle or some account to invest in. Uh, that would be another place that we would say at least contribute a certain percentage because it's always going to be a percentage of your salary of what you're making. Uh, so that would be the next place that you would want to save. And that can be that can be a challenge for people, right? Because mm -hmm. the question is, do I save for tomorrow or do I enjoy today? And, and how do we balance that? And meanwhile, saving for that emergency fund, I think you made a really good point there because it, it really you have to include the unknown such as job loss. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily you, know, you need a new set of tires or, or something like that. What happens if that source of income were to dry up to get you from point A to point B? Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, if you think about why, why financial plans fail and really even why businesses fail, it's when times get tough or unknown things take place, they lack liquidity. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is a really good point, especially when you're talking about retirement plans Keep in mind that money going into retirement plans is truly for the future. And if you're a young adult listening to this, um, that's money that you're not going to see for decades. Mm -hmm. So to Colin's point, we want to make sure that you are at least taking advantage of company matches, as we would describe free money. But at the same time, because of this savings waterfall concept, you have to have something to help hold you over in the shorter term should something unforeseen take place. I think that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and you you think about that long term perspective. Uh, also, you know, after outside of the emergency fund, talking about the four hundred one ks or investment accounts, and a lot of times we don't necessarily think as think of when we're young that we're going to ever need this money. Where's the money going? Right? You have to paint a picture of okay, this money is actually going towards something. It's paying yourself your future self. Right? We right now are working for our money one day our money will need to be working for us. So, you know, all those different vehicles, there's a number of different vehicles of ways you can save. Um, so one thing I'm curious, John, about is, you know, how have you seen the difference between, we talked about 401ks and other employer plans. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about like traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs or Roth 401k and a traditional 401k? What, how have you incorporated that into clients' plans and saving? Yeah, I think just on a, on a simple level, there's there's the concept between Roth and traditional funds. Now, keep in mind, there's different types of retirement accounts, but really that is the divider, which is one is money that you are putting away today that has not yet been taxed. 
so that it can grow tax deferred, meaning one day after it has grown to a larger amount, you are then paying the tax at that point. And I'm not disparaging that concept because in a perfect world, our expenses are less in retirement and therefore uh, we would be pulling less money out and we would be at a lower tax bracket. But there's a lot of what ifs and, and things that can change under that scenario. So um, although saving to traditional, which just means, again, tax deferred, whether it's an IRA, which is an individual retirement account, or a company-sponsored plan, if you're saving to that side of the equation, it feels better today because you're not being taxed on those dollars today. But you have to keep in mind, for instance, if you're an individual that has, let's just give you a round ballpark number, a million dollars. That feels like a lot of money, and it is. But if it's a million dollars in a 401k that hasn't yet been taxed, you have to keep in mind that although on paper that's what it reads, a lot of that money is not yours. It's Uncle Sam's, and you just haven't given it to him yet. So under those circumstances, a million dollars is actually more like 700000 to you, which again, a lot of money, but that's a $300,000 difference versus a Roth whether that's, again, in an employer-sponsored plan, and most companies do offer that option now, um, or a Roth IRA, which, again, is an individual retirement account, is money that you are biting the bullet and paying the tax on today. However, you're doing so so that all of your growth going forward is now tax-free. So there is, uh, like, like with the budget, there's a balancing act that has to take place there too. But generally speaking, if you are younger, and you have time on your side, you want to take advantage of the Roth option as much as you can. Now, even if that means you can't save as many dollars today because they're being taxed today, take advantage of that uh, as, as much as possible. I think, and again, Roth does not necessarily mean a individual retirement account. A lot of people don't realize that their employers allow them to contribute to Roth employer-sponsored plans. And that is an important concept because the limits on how much you can contribute are substantially higher there than in an individual retirement account. And for those high earners out there, there is no restriction on how much you can earn to make those Roth contributions. Yeah, because there is that, there is that restriction on a, just a normal Roth IRA. That's one of the biggest differences of understanding that some of you, if you, don't, if you make over a certain amount of money, you can't even contribute to a Roth. That's right. You know, you think about all the different things, John, that come into play as a young individual, however much you're making, wherever you're at, whatever job you're in. Um, you know, obviously, we've talked about budgeting. We've talked about savings. We talked about where you can save your money. Um, one of the other big things that a lot of young investors, like the next generation, really want to be considerate of uh, is credit. Uh, credit is one of those misnomers that I think that not oftentimes people think is really important, but there is a lot of benefits to building credit. Uh, you know, growing up, my parents, uh, they used to budget. The way that they budgeted was an old traditional way. They would take each expense that they had in a week, and whether that was groceries or another bill, and they would take physical cash out and put it in an envelope. And what they had in that envelope was what they had to spend. Now, the one thing there is they're not building credit. And in the society today where credit is actually becoming, I believe, increasingly more and more important, the more digitized we become, um, credit's going to matter. 
Now, why, why does credit matter? You know, credit helps you get things that you need through whether it's loans and it helps you pull forward future income that has not yet been received. Which can be dangerous. It can be very dangerous. <laughs> so you have to be very responsible with it. And there's good debt and then there's bad debt, right? And it always depends on how much debt do you already have as well. Well, a good credit means that you typically haven't overstretched yourself. A good credit shows lenders that you're responsible, you're reliable, and you'll make payments on time and in full. So there's a couple do's and a couple don'ts when it comes to your, your credit. Now, this is measured by a credit score. It's kind of like a, a report card that lenders will give you or lenders will look at. Just like when you're applying to colleges and all the colleges are looking at you and they're saying, hey, this guy had a 2.5 GPA. Well, maybe he's not going to Harvard, but he could go somewhere else. Maybe he could. But if you have a 3.5 GPA, you know, that looks more acceptable, right? Just as that happens with GPAs, there's a credit score showing how good you are with your credit. And those scores range from 300 to 850. Some of the things you want to do to build that credit, a good credit score is 850. That's as high as you can go. And, uh, and like your GPA, in your example, it follows you. It, yes, it follows you. That's right. And it's hard to bring back up if there's a ding on it. Some of the things that you want to do to build that credit up is you pay bills on time. You pay off balances in full. Uh, some things you don't want to do is you use more than 30% of your credit limit. Uh, you apply for unnecessary credit. And you close old credit cards. Now, the reason you don't want to do those things, taking it by first, the third, you don't want to have more than 30% of your credit limit. I'll give you an example. When I first got out of college uh, and I went to and I applied for a credit card, um, they gave me a limit of $300. And that was a conundrum to me because I was like, okay, you want me to build credit, but I only have a, minim, a, a, a maximum limit of $300. And then they also tell me that I found out the hard way when I got dinged on my credit that you can't use that full $300. And they said, you, you should really only use 30% of it. And you think of that, it's because you don't want to stretch yourself too thin. You don't want to take yourself right before that maximum. You don't want to push the boundaries. Um, but that 30% is going to be important that, and a big factor into your credit score. Uh, and the other thing when it comes to closing old cars, cards uh, is the payment history. So how, how, how long have you had those cards? How long have you had those cards? That gives you a, a record of showing, you know, you've, been, you've had this card for 10 years and you've never missed a payment. You've never been late to a payment. That's a very good indicator that you have good credit and you're reliable and lenders can rely on you and they can trust you. Um, so again, you know, look at when it comes to that idea of credit, um, those interest rates on those credit cards also, if you let a balance roll, that's going to accumulate, right? That's not going to, it's not going to feel good when your balance was $100 one month, the next month it's $129. And then at 29% on top of that, if your APY on a credit card is 29% interest if you're late. So if you're late to making payments or you don't make their payments, it's going to balloon. So you always want to make sure you pay those credit cards on time as well, right? But uh, I know that 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 idea of interest, uh, John, is something that can accumulate and compound really fast. Yeah, it, it can work for you and it can work against you. 
And uh, to your example of credit, that's that is something that you certainly don't want to overextend yourself. But um, real quick, just to to talk about a happier thought, it can work for you. Um, but it goes back to that whole idea of budgeting and a balancing act because uh, dollars that are spent, especially when you're young, on discretionary items that may feel good today but lose their luster pretty quickly. There, there's there's online calculators that you can reference, and if you ever want to uh, try to figure out whether something is discretionary spending or not, go ahead and put in the cost of that item and multiply that over from now until the time that you retire and see what that $1,000 does as it compounds with the market over 40 years. And you'll realize that that $1,000 phone actually ended up costing you a lot more. <laughs> so uh, that's that's a, a, always a, a fun exercise. But at the same time, if you make the right decisions, again, it works for you. Yeah. And, you know, John, I think as we look back today, going through all those items, those are obviously very important topics that any young person really needs to get a handle on. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. We hope you found our discussion informative and engaging. Remember, knowledge is power, and we encourage you to share this episode with the young adults in your life. If you have any questions or would like to suggest a topic for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. So please visit our website at advisors.ubs.com forward slash radius. Again, that's advisors.ubs.com forward slash radius. Don't forget to subscribe to the Inner Circle podcast on Apple Music or Spotify. Until next time, take care. Today's episode features financial advisors with UBS Financial Services Incorporated, a subsidiary of UBS Group AG, member FINRA, SIPC, located at 3601 Rigby Road, Miamisburg, Ohio, and can be reached at radiusgroup at ubs.com. This podcast is presented for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice or the basis for making any investment decisions. It does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any specific product or service. UBS does not provide legal or tax advice, and we would recommend listeners to obtain appropriate independent professional advice. Some of the views and opinions expressed may not be those of UBS Group AG or its affiliates. UBS Financial Services Incorporated offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC registered broker dealer. These services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review client relationship summary provided at ubs.com forward slash relationship summary.